Gospel, chapter 13. Let's see how to put this. I've known for some time this passage was coming. That eventually we would get to the the betrayal of Jesus. And be honest, I was kind of dreading it. I mean, who wants to preach on Judas? But there's much good news in this. Started reading and looking at the larger context of what's taking place. So, Judas is a character, and he is going to wield his influence and accomplish the dastardly deed, a deed of treachery toward Jesus. But we are going to see here the care of our Lord Jesus for his own. And it's, as they say, it's a beautiful thing to see our Lord on the brink of his own death, his sacrifice, that execution by crucifixion, And to see him preparing his disciples for what's to come. Because it's Thursday. And in less than 24 hours, Judas will carry out his deed. And Jesus will be crucified. Jesus preparing for this time, preparing his disciples. But I would uh, remind you that there were other preparations going on uh, prior to. Uh, Remember uh, Mary. Uh, Mary brought the, uh, the alabaster box of spikenard, of the ointment, very expensive, like a year's wages involved with that. And she very boldly broke that bottle and applied that perfume, which was not, uh, it didn't originate there in Israel. It came from the Far East very expensive, and she just lavishly 
anointed Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, she's done this preparing me for burial. Do you remember the attitude of the disciples? Because it's something we should remember right now. Because in these preparations, Judas is connected with each one. This first one, obviously. The second one, not so obviously. But listen to this. Remember, the disciples were indignant. They were, they were angry that this woman would just pour out this expensive perfume on Jesus. Not to mention the fact that she's worshiping Jesus. And we read through maybe Matthew, Mark, or Luke that they were all indignant. And then there was one that spoke up. Judas. And you know what he said? Yep, the keeper of the money box said, this should have been used for another purpose. Basically, this, this is pointless. We should have used this. We should have taken this perfume, sold it, and given the money to the poor. And I want you to hear this because we don't often think about this, but all the disciples agreed with Judas. The Bible says they were indignant. Well, how in the world could she? How would she? Here we are and we're struggling or we're doing this, that and the other. And, and she is bringing this perfume and she is, she's wasting this time, our time. And she's wasting this perfume. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, she's done the right thing. Jesus basically, of course, the way he could say it, he basically said, all you disciples and Judas, back off, leave her alone. She has done the right thing. She has chosen the good part. So it's, you know, we can learn from that. It's always, it's the good part to choose Jesus rather than some social experiment. Jesus said, you're going to have the poor with you always. It's just a fact of life. And take care of them. But for now, this gal has done the right thing. Well, it gets closer to the time of Passover. It's the last week of the life of Jesus. And there's another preparation going on. Jesus, remember this? He's looking for a place that they can gather and have the Last Supper. Do you remember this? He told Peter and John, he said, I want you to go find a place. He said, you're going to see a guy with a pitcher of water. Follow him. And uh, so they went and they found the guy with the pitcher of water and they found and they followed him. And he goes to a house and he said, we're looking for a place uh, to have Passover. And the man of the house says, Go right upstairs. There's an upper room furnished and ready for you. 
Now, how was Judas, how did he figure in that? Well, it doesn't meet the eye right off the bat, but here's what we think. This Judas is a conniver. And he is looking for the right time and the right place to betray Jesus. Well, the Bible tells us when Judas finally betrays Jesus, it's in a familiar place, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is keeping Judas on his heels at this point, not letting anyone know where they're going to meet. Judas has no idea. He can't set it all up just yet because it wasn't time. Jesus wanted time to educate, to teach his disciples. Preparation. All kinds of preparation going on. Now, we'll read the text here with all that in mind, beginning with Verse 17 of chapter 13, John 13, 17. And we're going to read, we're just going to read the text. And then I've got three points. I want to give you those to start with after the reading. And then we'll talk about it. But this, I can tell you right now, this is rich. It is rich with meaning. So here we go. Jesus is the central figure here. Verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. He says, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass... So that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified. And said, truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, 
Buy the things we have need of for the feast. Or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately. And it was night. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, Why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of scripture and the truth that it teaches. I pray that our hearts would be receptive to your word today. God, that we would be drawn into a closer relationship with you, that we would appreciate your work, the work of your son, more and more, that we would ponder and contemplate this passage and we would even search our own hearts. Lord, if there's one here today who doesn't know you, we pray that they would trust Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So point number one is the prophecy of the prophets. Uh, Point two is the perplexity of the disciples. And point three is the passion of Jesus. So point one, the prophecy of the prophets. Now, We can take our Bible, we turn back to the Psalms. So we want to go to Psalm 41. We want to go to Psalm 55. And we're going to see that what is taking place, what is unfolding in the life of Jesus and his disciples, as it relates to Judas, was prophesied. 
I mean, this is, this is amazing. We know about the prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus. Micah 5, 2, that he'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born in a place he didn't even call home. Uh, we know that uh, according to Isaiah, he would be crucified. A prophecy given before crucifixion was a thing. I mean, they're just, the Bible is amazing. It is God's word. It is God breathed. It is profitable for correction and teaching and instruction and righteousness. Why we don't avail ourselves more, the opportunity to hear the word, read the word, be steeped in the word, be edified in the word, I'll never know. But have a Bible, keep it open and read, read, read. God will speak to you and he'll work in your heart. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Well, Jesus just quoted a portion of that. Do you know Jesus, uh, this is going to sound a little strange, but Jesus knew his Bible Yes, he did. The word, we have the word speaking the word is what we have here. But there's a prophecy all the way back in the Psalms, roughly a thousand years before Jesus lived. And then we go to Psalm 55. We don't often think of the prophecies relating to Judas. Psalm 55, verse 12 Verses 12 through 13, 14. Listen to these words of the psalmist. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. And then one last prophecy over in Zechariah. So just keep turning toward the New Testament. You'll go past Isaiah, Jeremiah. You'll keep turning past Ezekiel. And you get over there into the shorter prophetic books. And we're over with Zechariah chapter 11. Verses 12 and 13. Zechariah 11 Verses 12 and 13, we're reading the sacred scriptures. I said to them, beginning there in verse 12, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, throw it. To the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. 
So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And we all know that Judas received 30 pieces of silver. The price for a common slave to betray Jesus, the son of the living God. And you think... Of all that Judas saw, all that he heard, yet he turned his back on the Lord. The prophecies, that's what we're talking about. The prophecies of the prophets, the psalmist, Zechariah, prophesying years before this would actually take place. We have prophecies concerning The betrayal of Jesus. And then, look with me back in John chapter 6. How many of you know Jesus is prophet, priest, and king? Well, he knew the hearts of all men. He He knew what was going on in their mind. He comments on this time and again. But if you'll look at John 6, verse 70. So... Almost at the very end of that chapter of John chapter 6, Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. Now, keep that in context. He's talking to his disciples. He says, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he didn't tell them who it was. So they're all just, you know, they're just struck with who is it? You know, is it I? Who is this? The Bible goes on to say, now he met Judas. Right there in 71, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now we call him Judas Iscariot because he's from Kirioth. Iscariot is where he's from. It sets him apart from another Judas. So, He says that in John 6, there at the end of the chapter. Jesus, in other words, Jesus knew what would take place. Listen, this was all in the Father's plan. But it was going to happen in the Father's good time. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew it. Nothing caught Jesus by surprise. But how many of you know, uh, sometimes... His disciples are caught by surprise. We probably shouldn't be surprised. They were certainly uh, told this was going to happen. They know Jesus is going to the cross, but they have little understanding concerning all that was going to take place. So we have the prophecies. And then we have the perplexity of the disciples. This is where we wanted to go. The perplexity. They're they're on their heels. They don't know what to think about this. The Bible says that Jesus became troubled in spirit. This is John 13, 21. And he testified. That word testified is used 33 times in the book of John. It's used three times total in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What is it to testify? It is to make a declaration. 
And that's what John is concerned about as he chronicles the life of Jesus, as he writes down his teaching, are the declarations of Jesus. Who he claims to be, who he says he is. And here we have a declaration. Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. We're right there. And the disciples, here it is, began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he is speaking. Who is it? No one's disclosed who it is that will betray him. But Jesus says it again. Here they are at the last supper, this Passover meal. Jesus has already washed the disciples' feet. He has taken on uh, that dress of a servant. He has done a slave thing by washing their feet. And with all that in the immediate past, he says, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. This had to be something that the disciples found unbelievably incredible. That this would just not, how will this happen? And they would have to think about it, that it would take place and it was the enemy's effort to undermine the greater mission and the greater goal, which is Jesus offering the sacrifice himself on the cross and rising from the dead and paying our sin debt. And the disciples don't know what to think about it. Even though they've been warned, even though Jesus has talked to them about this, they are, as the writer says, as John says, at a loss. And so there they are, they're reclining. You can picture that. They're, you know, they short tables and reclining near the table and reclining near the table. And there they are. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now it's interesting, John refers to himself like this. John refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. He never mentions his own name, which is interesting. He does, this uh, statement is like, I think it's five times in the book of John. And I think this is the first time that he says it. So, um, so he's there and he's right next to Jesus. And Simon Peter gestures to him and he says, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. Peter's not going to ask Jesus because he feels like John has a better shot at getting the answer. After all, John's the one that Jesus loved, right? So uh, they're talking, little table talk here. He, verse 25, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. Now, the, the custom was that the first morsel would go to the honored guest. So Jesus is giving the morsel to Judas. He is treating Judas as the honored guest at this supper. Everyone around that table would know exactly what he's doing. He's given Judas the morsel. Uh, this is bread and some kind of uh, paste. I don't know, figs, olives, do those go together? I don't know. 
They made it work, whatever they're having, right? So he dipped the morsel. He took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, after the morsel. There it is, Satan. Satan's involved in this. Then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, he says to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. So they still don't get it. They still don't understand. But because the next verse says some were supposing, what do you think? Why do you say this? Because uh, uh, Judas has a money box and Jesus wants to buy the things that they need for the rest of the feast or, or that he should give something to the poor. He think, they think they're send, that Jesus is sending Judas on an errand when it's really all about the next part of the story, which is the, the betrayal. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately. And, and John's good with this. Look at that last part and don't, don't gloss over it. Don't, don't just move right through without thinking it was night. You know, John 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Here, Judas leaves and it was night. And what John wants us to understand is this is, this is darkness over the soul of Judas. He is, uh, Satan has entered into him and he is ready to move forward in this deed, this betrayal against Jesus. And therefore, when he got out, Jesus says, now is the son of man glorified. And we know what that means. Jesus is saying this, this plan is in motion and the son of man will be glorified. He will be, he will suffer. He will die. He will rise. He will ascend. All of that will take place. And he says, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Why is he saying this? And it leads to really the last point and something I'd like to dwell on for at least a couple minutes. And the point is this, that throughout this passage, what shines is Jesus and his care for these disciples. The first thing he wants them to know is this. You can have Satan in the mix and in the midst. You can have a betrayer in the mix and in the midst. But there is nothing on planet earth or beyond that will ever thwart God's plan. Before the foundations of the world, God planned to rescue sinners from sin and death and hell. And nothing would thwart God's plan. Nothing. Not a Judas, not a Satan, and not the confusion of his own people. You can see it. He has prepared them. I just, I love this because right there, Judas is going out the door. He is going to go betray Jesus and Jesus knows it. And as soon as he leaves, what does Jesus 
say, now the Son of Man is glorified. What? Yeah, uh, Judas isn't going to torpedo the whole operation. Satan is not going to stand in the way of redemption. No, Jesus gives this, this beautiful, uh, these beautiful words, the son of man, that is who he has always referred to himself as the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. The plan is coming together. The God, God, the father, God, the son, the Holy spirit, all working. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. The plan is not going to stop. The plan will not be foiled. Jesus is accomplishing that plan. And then look at this. I love this. Verse 33, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Why would he do that? I mean, have you ever thought about, why would he say that? I mean, he doesn't sound terribly perplexed at all, but his disciples are. And so what's he telling them? He's telling them, he's teaching them. Don't start looking at each other with suspicion when one defects. Don't start questioning the motives of everybody else in the room when one takes flight and betrays your master. He tells them, love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then Simon Peter, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. I want to close with these verses in... uh, Chapter 13, we've read over them. Now I want you to uh, look at this, 19 and 20, right there. And I want these verses to become some of the most precious two verses in the Bible. Not only because of what they say, but because of where they're found. The context See what Jesus said from now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you what? May believe that I am he. Hmm. You know what Jesus is saying? Saying something bad is going to happen. It's going to look awful to your eyes. Son of man is going to be betrayed. But when it happens, and I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it happens, you won't be caught off guard. You won't lose your spiritual equilibrium. You won't be ground to powder. You won't melt. So that when it does occur, so when the the break happens, you may believe. Another good word there is you will believe that I am he. Now listen, you say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. 
that's great. That was great for them there. These are wonderful words for us here. Because uh, something tells me that there are some in this room who have gone through a life-altering experience, a shattering experience. And we act like these things, you know, catch us by surprise and our faith ebbs. Seldom does it flow, but it ebbs in those moments. And I just want you to know that uh, we are not immune from life in a wicked world. We're not immune from our own weakness and the weakness of our own flesh. We're not immune from the devices of the enemy. But when... When upheaval comes, difficulty, believe. Don't stop believing. When things around you begin to break or break down, don't break. Believe. Keep believing. He told you it would be this way. This life is not easy. We could, I mean, we could have testimony time, couldn't we? We sure could. We might all, you know, have a race to the microphone to tell about our, our pain or our hurt or our regret or our sin or that thing that happened or that time that so-and-so walked out of my life. When it happens, not if, but when, we will all face challenges when it happens. Keep on believing right there. What Jesus is saying is that circumstances change, but the call of Christ on your life is not diminished when you go through heartache. That's what he's saying right there. The call, that's salvation. Well, I'm not worthy because my life's not very shiny or happy. Keep believing. Keep believing. And then the other thing, and this is really, this is good and we'll end on this little note. This is powerful. Verse 20. He says, here's another truly, truly. This is right to their heart. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. What in the world? <laughs> I love Jesus when he goes into space talk. And you just go, wow, what is that? What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. Not only is your call, the call to salvation, not diminished when you hurt or when things break down. But your commission stands. Commission? Oh, I thought I was just saved. No, we're saved to serve. Oh, yeah, back there in Matthew. Uh, did you know as uh, Christians, as believers, we have a commission. And that commission is spelled out for us in the 28th chapter of Matthew, beginning with verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. 
And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. It was, hey, listen, these words are as good now as they were then. They're for disciples. They're for those who love him. They are for those who are experiencing perhaps the hardest time of their life. The call is not diminished on your life and the commission that Christ has given us is not diminished. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the midst of our heartache and our difficulty, our pain, we're children of God. But not only are we his children, saved and and ready for heaven, we have a commission. And that commission is to go out there, take whoever we've got with us, and point them all to Jesus. Point them all to Jesus. What's the answer for this wicked world? Jesus. What's the answer for that soul that is parched and dry? It's Jesus. The commission he gives us is never negated by our circumstance. He will always give you an opportunity to speak for him, to testify of him, and to stand strong. Father in heaven, we thank you for the day. I thank you for this word, Lord. We need to hear it. And uh, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Lord, what we're concerned about is we're concerned about the soul of each person. And we ask, God, that you would do the work, that you would do a saving work in some and that you would do a sanctifying work in others. But in all of the work, Lord, you would be glorified. We give you praise. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.